in Paul's mind, all the promises that were given to Abraham in the Old Testament are all fulfilled through the Holy Spirit. Look in Galatians 3. I told you I was not going to be just preaching. We're going to be teaching and learning some stuff here. Galatians 3, verse 14. It says, he redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come true, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, he redeemed us that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus. So all those promises, all those blessings we read about in the Old Testament that Abraham was going to have, all that's going to happen to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. This is what God wants for us when he gives us the Holy Spirit. In other words, he said, I want to give you all the promises I gave Abraham. And we look at Abraham and think, man, he was a great man. I wish I could be like him. You can't. Because God said, I'm going to give you all the promises I gave Abraham through the Holy Spirit. There was this farmer who went to a hardware store and he bought a power saw. And the, and the owner said, you know what, that power saw can help you cut through five big oak trees in an hour. Farmer got hyped up. He went home. He did his thing. He came back the next day. He was so angry. He threw the power saw down. The owner said, what is wrong? And he said, this thing, five oak trees in an hour, I couldn't cut five oak trees in a day. So the owner picked it up. And he cranked it up, and the farmer was like, whoa, what is that noise? The farmer tried to do all the work with this power saw by cutting the trees like this. He never even cranked it up and got the power going. But let me ask you this. Isn't that what we do spiritually? We got the power that was given to Abraham through the Holy Spirit given to us, And here we are trying to cut through all the doors that are blocking us instead of cranking up the Holy Spirit, cutting it out, and walking on through like you need to go. We try. We say, well, how do I do that, preacher Mo? Because, let me tell you, this is how we don't embrace the Holy Spirit's power. Your one quiet time a week is not going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Your five-minute prayer on the way to the bus ain't going to get you the Holy Spirit power. Oh, but I, I, I have a long reading. When I read, I read for like an hour to make up for the whole week. You don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit because you're not in the Word or in prayer enough to get that power. So you're using that saw trying to saw something instead of cranking it up and watching the Spirit work. So you telling me I got to read my Bible every day? I'm not telling you that. But if you don't want to be a fool, you would read your Bible every day and let the power of the Holy Spirit guide you where you need to go. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. That's a combination. There you go. Ephesians 1 verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, 
You were marked in with him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to be praised of his glory. It says the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing that we're going to be able to be with God one day. The Holy Spirit, that's like an engagement ring given to you saying the wedding's going to happen. You're going to be the bride of Christ. And so he gives it to you, letting you know, even though times may be tough, you're going to have ups and downs in your Christian journey. But you need to think about the end result. And you're going to be with God forever, for eternity. So these times, these troublesome times, this place is not your home. This world is not your home. You're just passing through. But the end result is where God wants you to be. You say, well, well, when times are hard, how can I remember that? The Holy Spirit. That's how you remember, I'm going to make it to the end. It may be hard right now, but I'm going to make it because God has given me my engagement ring of the Holy Spirit. And that's all I need to make it through. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 6. So you got to see why Paul is so upset with these Galatians because he has preached, he's taught them, they understood, and now somebody comes in and says something and they just like lose conviction all of a sudden. Guys, we cannot lose our conviction because somebody else says or does something. And, and, and we, you know, we strong New Yorkers, that's how we roll. But yet some of us lose faith when not everybody's at church on Sunday. Why wasn't George here this week? I don't know, man. It's just depressing when George don't come to church. Wait a minute. George didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. We need to focus on you and Jesus, not on everybody else around you. But see, we let so many different things determine how we're doing spiritually. Your spouse cannot even determine how you're doing spiritually. Now, you got to listen on this one. Because some, some of us let our spouse determine how our day, our week, our spiritual walk go. You know what? My wife may have a bad day. That doesn't mean I got to have a bad day. My daddy. Even Siri said, very good point, Pastor Mo. But too many times we let our spouses determine how we feel. You say, well, you don't understand. A, a, a happy wife is a happy life. You don't understand. A happy wife should be a good Christian. And a good Christian makes a happy home. So it's not about wife or husband. It's about, am I being a Christian? Now, she has bad days. I have bad days. I have multiple bad days. But that doesn't mean her day needs to be bad because my day is bad. My point is, some of us need to stop relying on our spouse as our savior and our spiritual barometer and let Jesus be the one that determines how hot we're going to be for the Lord. In chapter 3, verse 6, he uses an argument of the Old Testament. He says here, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul uses a question from the law, and he says, how did Abraham receive righteousness? Now, before I get into that, he says, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, that's the Old Testament, and we're New Testament Christians, so we don't use the Old Testament. He didn't say, all that is meaningless, let's just throw it away, let's just focus on New Christian, New Christianity, New Testament Christians. That's not what he said. What he tried to help them see is, it's not that the Old Testament doesn't matter. His argument is, you just don't understand the Old Testament. It matters, but you don't understand it. So he makes it simple for him. He breaks it down for him. In a verse 8, Galatians 3, verse 8, he says, when you turn 50, you have to look at these little bitty letters, don't The numbers are a little different. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. The first thing it says, the Old Testament announces the adoption of the Gentiles into God's church. So he said, all you Jewish people, all you Pharisees and law keepers, you know the Bible. You get all these scriptures written on your robes, but you don't even understand what it's saying. Because the Bible already said that the Gentiles would come into the kingdom by faith. Now, if the Bible already said it, did you just skip over those verses or you just don't like those verses? So you don't use those verses. See, there's a lot of people that have biblical knowledge today. But knowledge does not equal understanding. There's so many people who want to quote a scripture. You ever notice you show your face somebody, they cussing up a storm. Some of you invite them to church. Oh, praise the Lord. Mm-hmm, God is good. And they just get religious all of a sudden. You may know some scriptures but you don't understand what they're saying to you. What he's saying here is that it was already announced even before Jesus came that the Gentiles would become a part adopted into the kingdom of God. See, we look at Matthew 28 and we say that's the Great Commission. And we've been taught that for so long. Now I'm about to bust some bubbles here. And this is why when I teach this stuff, a lot of people get all shook. Don't get shook. Just listen to the word. We say Matthew 28. The one that, you know, dang, what did it say? Matthew 28, 18. The one of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, you know what I'm talking about. And we say that's the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Actually, that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission was given to Abraham in Genesis when he said what it says right here. And this is exactly what he told him. It says, and all nations will be blessed through you. He told him that in Genesis. Matthew 28 is just the result of the blessing that he said will occur in Genesis. In other words, it's the fruition. In other words, here it is, the promise in Genesis, and here's the result of the promise. Now it's being fulfilled. So we look at that and we got to understand, it was already said back in Genesis that all nations will be blessed through Abraham. That all Gentiles, you're going to be blessed too. You're going to be a part of this thing too. He already said it 
in Genesis. So why is that such a big deal? Because all those religious people knew the scriptures but didn't understand what it was saying. So now you're trying to teach somebody something you don't have a clue what it's about. Guys, we have to be careful. When we're studying the Bible, people, too often we start trying to talk about all our experiences and all our wisdom, and we try to help them see how smart we are. We need to stop. The smartest thing is the Word of God, and we need to stick to the Word of God. So first of all, God announced the adoption of the Gentiles way back in Genesis. So he's saying, guys, y'all need to stop pretending. God has already made it clear that these Gentiles are going to be equal to all the Jews back in Genesis. So just stop. Secondly, God announces that the Old Testament was not based on law keeping. Because they thought, well, the Old Testament, Moses gave the Ten Commandments, so everything needs to be straight, boom, 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 boom. Again, look in uh, chapter 8, I mean, chapter 3, verse 8. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So Paul says, my gospel is not new. It's as old as Genesis. And all those Judaizer law-keeping people probably argued that the Gentiles were going to have to keep the law that Moses gave in order to receive the promises of Abraham. But Paul says, let me ask you this. When did Abraham uh, receive these promises? He didn't keep the law because the law hadn't even been given yet. So it's not like Abraham got these promises because he kept the law. There was no law back when Abraham was doing this. It's not like Abraham got all these promises because he was circumcised. Circumcision came after these promises were given to him. So he said, wait a minute. So how did Abraham get his righteousness? Well, look at what it says here in verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now here's the key. It didn't say he believed in God. It says he believed God. There's a difference. Everybody, well, not everybody, but pretty much all America believes in God. Everybody has some God they worship. Even the atheists say, I don't, I don't believe in God. But you believe in yourself. Yourself is God. Everybody has a God. So people believe in God, but do you believe God? Well, what do you mean? Okay, I can believe in God. There is a God. But if I believe God himself, that means what he says here, I trust. I don't trust him because I believe in God. I trust him because I believe God. And that's a huge difference. And this is what we got to understand. Even the demons believe in God and they shudder. They're scared. But they believe in God. But you got to understand, if they believe God, they will be obedient to and this is what it is. See, what I'm telling you is this. I'm not trying to make this about law, and I'm not trying to make this where grace, you do whatever you want. The reason we do what we do, why should I obey God? It's because the grace that God has given me makes me thankful, makes me appreciative. The problem is there's a lot of people that feel entitled. When you feel entitled, you're not grateful for anything. My kids can feel entitled. 
Well, I'm not 18. You're supposed to feed me and buy me clothes and make sure I get to school and take care of me. That's what parents do. That's your job as a parent. Give me another one there. So when you give them things, they, it's supposed to happen. Don't even say thank you because they feel entitled. You're supposed to do that. See, that's how we could be in the kingdom of God. You say, I don't believe you. Let me tell you something. If we stop having kids' kingdom, it'd be a hissy fit. Wait a minute. I got to put my kids somewhere. We always do that. What's wrong with the church? They ain't doing kids' kingdom no more. What's the problem? The church falling apart? You feel entitled. Because imagine this. How many of y'all were in kids' kingdom when your parents took you to church? I didn't know what kids' kingdom was. I had to sit by my mama and keep my mouth shut. If something happened, she bewitched me. Many of us didn't have kids' kingdom. The back of her hand was kids' kingdom. Well, you better keep your mouth shut in church. Straighten it all up real quick and easy. But nowadays, kids are entitled. Mama, you hit me, I'm calling social services. Slow down, slow down. Hold another lesson. I ain't going there today. You got to stay focused. That's my parenting lesson. We'll get on that later. I'm going to skip over. Look in John chapter 8. John 8, verse 54. I didn't bring my watch up here, so I don't know what time it is. Thank you for your services, Dina. Take your time, do it right. You can do it. Verse 54. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you call as your God, is the one whom glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day and saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple ground. Abraham put no faith in his own righteousness. He believed that God had the power to resurrect and the power to redemption. This is what we need to understand. Jesus' life wasn't about him. It was about bringing glory to God. The real basis for Abraham's justification was Christ's work on the cross. And this is Paul's point. Do you believe there's any other way to receive righteousness other than Jesus Christ? There isn't. But even in religion today, many people follow other people, other traditions, 
It's not about any person. It's not about a church. It's about you and Jesus Christ. And again, this is what we need to be grateful for. I remember Abraham Lincoln heard a story. Abraham Lincoln was uh, going to town one day, and he got passed by by a cart. And so he stopped the car and said, sir, would you mind taking my overcoat into town for me? And the guy said, sure, but how will you get it back? He said, don't worry, I'm going to stay in it. Here's the thing. Takes a little bit. But here's the thing. None of us will make it into heaven unless we're clothed with Christ. Christ is the only way for us to make it to heaven. And this leads me to Paul's last argument. Galatians 3, verse 10. Galatians 3, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. So Paul asks, how does God receive lawbreakers? Paul is not denying the function of the law. The law has a function. But what he's saying is the law's function is not a saving function. The law tells you you messed up. But the law doesn't get you right with God. It cannot be a basis for salvation. So in other words, a set of rules don't get you to heaven. They just point out all the issues in your life. Only Jesus and the grace of God gets you to heaven. And this is important because some of us are perfectionists. And some of us, if, if everything's not lined up right for us, we can be spiritually OCD. If everything is not lined up right for us, it's just miserable. The world's coming to an end. Armageddon. It's just over with. That means you don't understand the grace of God. Because if you're in a field of grace, no matter how many times you fall, you're still in that field of grace. So you may get up and stumble and fall again. Where did you just fall? Grace. Get up, go again. Where did you fall? Grace. You got to understand, the grace of God is what helps us make it to heaven. A set of rules is what makes you feel guilty time and time again. This is what Paul is saying. If you're going to insist on keeping the law, you cannot mess up one time. Look in James chapter 2, verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. He says, listen, if you are trying to be spiritual by keeping all these laws, boom, 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 you better not mess up one time. But what do you mean? You better not have one lustful thought. 
You better not get angry one time. You better not lose your temper one time. He says, if you're going to try to keep all the law, you cannot mess up once. Or you could be saved through the grace of God, and every time you fall, you're still falling in the field of grace. And you can get up and keep moving forward. Fall again, get up, keep moving forward. You want grace, or do you want a set of rules? He makes it clear. There was a guy at the University of Nebraska at Omaha, Paul Stewart. He had a master's degree in legal matters. He even married the dean of law from the university. All that's interesting because later, Paul Stewart got arrested. Before attending the university, he left behind in another state 11 felonies, arson, burglary, and desertion from the army. The man knew the law, taught the law, even married the law, but the problem was he couldn't keep the law. Paul says, that's a fool. If you think you can do these things and be right with God, you're wrong. You're a fool. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to do things out of gratitude to God because we want to please God. Well, why? Because of the grace God has given you. You realize how jacked up all of us are? So jacked up. The problem is sometimes we forget how jacked up we are because we're in church and everybody hugging you and talking to you and you feel good, which is good. You need to feel good in church. But then sometimes that blinds us to how jacked up we are. So then we lose gratitude for things. And then it becomes a task, a duty, a chore. Instead of, you know what, I'm just so glad to be alive. That you know what, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and just thank God. I'm just going to have thank you prayers to God. There's a gentleman by the name of Eugene Nider, one of the world's greatest anthropologists, studier of uh, science of humans. I believe it was in the, the Wycliffe translation that came to him one time and said they were trying to put the scriptures into the tongue of one African tribe, and they could not find a word in their language which meant redeemed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. It literally means to buy out of slavery. So Nider used this, said, used this phrase, taking the head out. They were confused. So then he explained that in the history of this tribe, they had wars with other tribes. And the victims were taken and marched down to the coast and were sold to white slave traders. They put big bars around their necks and they lined them up and sold them as slaves. So if you were caught, you had a bar placed around your neck and you were basically in a hopeless situation. Unless, this didn't happen much, but unless one of your friends came along, sold everything they had, and outbidded the white traders and bought you back. Then they would come along and take the bar out, literally taking your head out of the bar. So if you go to them and say, Jesus took the head out, they will understand what redemption means. This is what we got to understand. Jesus came along. He took our head out of this life of slavery, of sin, of deceit, of immorality, of drug abuse, of all these things. But yet, somebody will come along and try to put your head right back in there. 
You don't have to go to church every Sunday. You don't have to read your Bible all the time. You need to go ahead and hit the snooze button. Get a little bit more sleep. Don't worry about that. And you know who's doing that? That's Satan. That's Satan trying to get you to put your head back in those bars. That's your coworker trying to give a little flirty flirt with you to put your head back in those bars. That's your neighbor. Sometimes even our loved ones can try to put our head back in there. There's a lot of people trying to put you back where Jesus just took you from. This is what we got to understand. The grace of God is saying, listen to me. Listen, Jesus has come to set you free. Don't be foolish. Don't forget what you learned. Don't forget what you committed to. Don't forget Jesus Christ. An article of an officer in Britain named Peter Hannon. He was in a town north of London one night, and he heard a sob. And he looked in the shadows of the porch, and there was a little six-year-old boy who was lost. He said, Mister, I can't find my home. Can you take me there? So the officer named different streets in the town, but the boy didn't recognize any. He started naming hotels and stores, but the boy didn't recognize any. So he sat down and he started drawing, and he drew a picture of a church with a large steeple up top. And the boy looked at that, and he remembered, and he said, if you could take me back to the cross, then I could find my way home. This is what we need to understand. No matter what's going on in your life, you take it back to the cross, you will always be able to find your way home to the glory of God. Amen?